it's hard in this I, I mean i this is the difference i would say i absolutely loved what i did um and it provided me with a lot of freedom to be able to do other things on top we talked to i don't know if you're going to go onto it about like good luck and things but i can sort of talk more about cedars in the first round of crowdfunding but that's when the likes of andy murray got involved um you know he invests in small business uh, british businesses that he really believes in and likes and then the likes of victoria pendleton as well who'd just been a been a customer for you know the best part of six months unbeknownst to us because it was under a different name was it was there a shareholder agreement and was it all very serious or was it still very loose i don't think it's for everyone i think you know especially in today's society you can be anyone can be whoever they want to be you know you put in the hard work and and get a bit of luck as we sort of have discussed and you can certainly go on to do anything i don't think you have to have a, a father or mother or brother or sister who's gone on to do something miles welcome to the show Hey Simon, thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you here. I wonder if we could start off by you kindly telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, obviously my name is Miles and as you, you suggested, I'm one of the uh, one of three co-founders at Mindful Chef, so the healthy recipe box company. And we started out in 2015 with a mission much like yourselves. Our mission is to make healthy eating easy for as many people as possible. Uh, before that, um, I was a personal trainer and nutritional coach for the best part of 10 years. Um, and before that, played sport quite heavily, you know, interested in all sorts, but rugby being my main sort of passion, I guess. And, um, you know, that's transitioned into what we do today in terms of healthy eating and, and um, you know, trying to be as accessible as possible. And so um, what does Mindful Chef do for those that don't know? Yeah, so we, as I said, started in 2015, so still relatively new, um, but one of the bigger sort of recipe companies in the UK now. So it's really simple. Every single week we send all of the ingredients pre-portioned along with recipe cards out to people's homes across the company. We're slightly different from some of the other guys in terms of our um, sort of focus is really on health and making the meals as healthy as possible but equally making them really delicious as well so you know we have a couple of things like all of all of our meals are gluten-free dairy-free and that's trying to be as um sort of as inclusive as possible for people who may not want to eat that way and sort of we just include bigger protein portions more vegetables those sorts of things as well but um yeah really really delicious food is like number one as well as health you're making me hungry because it's. I haven't had my lunch or breakfast yet. So, um, yeah, stop it's saying close, stop saying the word delicious, please. But, um, but look, I, I'm fascinated by your story, and I really want to get into the details of how this all came about and how you ended up doing what you're doing and the learnings, so my audience can 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 learn from you really. So, I, one of the things I was when I was reviewing what you were doing is the kind of jump where you were, you know, as you said earlier, a personal trainer, and then suddenly um, this three of you starting a business can you talk us a little bit through how that happened was it you just cold turkeyed your old uh, business and went straight into this and how did how did you manage to build up a partnership with three of you and how, how's that how's that played out in your life yeah um it, it's quite a good, it's an interesting story i guess and it's all true so it's, that's quite nice as well um you know the three of us myself giles and rob we're actually old school friends so we went to the same school and uh it's quite nice they were quite with separate ages so there's a couple of years difference between the three of us but that sort of around about the ages where you'd always spend time together whether it was playing sports or we used to spend summers together in Cornwall um sort of camping and working you know summer jobs down there so we always spend that time together and um you know went off did our different things Giles went into marketing Rob went into the finance world um but always 
we're from Devon, little like, town called Exeter. Everyone comes back at Christmas, holidays, etc. You you always hang out with the same people. Um, and it was actually when Rob was back in Limston, uh, Devon, when he was uh, working on a little two-man trawler in the summer. I think he sort of burned out a little bit from the finance world and sort of came back for a break. And um, he was working with his friend on this fishing boat called the Compass Rose. And Giles and I had gone out to meet him. And each day they would come in and they'd have a like WhatsApp group with about, you know, 100, 200 villagers on the, um, other villagers on there. And they'd just say, this is what we've caught today. If you guys want this fresh fish straight off of the boat, just come down to the docks and we'll sell it to you. And Giles and I were there and we just, you know, when you, they'd come in, they'd have about 50 to 60 people waiting for them, just ready to buy this fish straight off the boat. And we thought, wow, isn't that incredible? Like, isn't that really how food should be sourced you know when you hear people talk about these stories they go that eureka moment that that was that moment was then and um we thought that's how you should do it you should be able to get food straight from supplier or farmer to your doors without the middleman or on supermarket shelves or warehouses for weeks on end and we'd seen resting boxes in the states and they're getting some traction just started in the uk and we thought okay well, that's that's a way you could actually do this on a larger scale but what's really important to us like we don't want to just be another copycat we don't just want to be the same a that's not in our dna and b we don't have the finances to go up against the really big guys you know it's all completely self-funded so we thought what's really important um, my background as i've already said was in health rob and giles they're incredibly active sporty as well like the outdoors so we just thought well What's the real pain point for people? Lots of people can make a spaghetti bolognese or pasta bake each week, but actually trying to eat healthily week in, week out is is really hard for a lot of people. So if we could make that as easy as possible for, you know, two or three nights a week, um, then actually this might be something that people really want. And plus, then we end up having more of a positive impact on their lives rather than just shipping them, I don't know, burger and chips. And it's it's all about sort of balance for us. Like we don't we don't claim to be gluten-free dairy-free ourselves. We'll enjoy pizzas, burgers at the weekends, but we just think if everyone can make a slight shift in their their overall eating patterns, you know, include more veg, try some of these sort of um, meals, recipes, etc., then actually it could have a positive like impact on people's lives, which kind of where that mission stemmed from and making healthy eating easy. So, so there's a fascinating story, by the way, and a, a great insight for my audience to pick up on how, how sometimes by doing stuff in life you love, like getting fresh fish in your hometown, uh, can end up leading to a brilliant idea. I think everyone's so busy sitting there thinking, oh, what is a brilliant idea? Instead of living life uh, and through their own experiences and their own pain points, realising the idea is right there in front of you in your WhatsApp group. I think the, um, the thing I, I find interesting, I'd love to just dig into it a little bit. So, so you, you, you realise the pain point, You've realised you realised that you know people need access to this fresh, healthy food two or three nights a week. So what happens next? Do you sit around a table and divide the company up? Do you do you start talking about you know raising money or or, or what happens? What's the first few steps you took? No, I mean, um, yeah, something back to your question around like, did you just pack in your job, etc. As well, no, you, we we sat around. We really thought about what did we want the company to stand for like what is the name like luckily we landed on mindful chef there are a few other options which i think if we chosen we wouldn't be here today because it just wouldn't resonate with everything else and you know the name encapsulates everything like sort of the the impact we wanted to have on wider society whether it's social goals or environmental goals whether it's being mindful of our suppliers of the ingredients we use etc so it was really thinking about 
the name, thinking about what we wanted the company to stand for, what was our our brand, what was our like values in the day. Like we didn't call them values in the day, back in the day, you know, it was just what do we want to stand for? Um, and that was like where we really started was honing in and being really focused on what we wanted Mindful Chef to be and what we wanted to offer. All too often, I think you chat to other businesses or you see examples of people just, you know, for want of a better word, like always using the word like pivot, oh, I've got to pivot now, I've got to pivot. And they constantly do that. And actually where we, where I think what we did really well was we focused on like just delivering our mission of healthy eating made easy, focus on that goal. Um, and actually it served us really well until we grew a bit bigger and then we could focus on doing more as well. But um, really? to your point, around, did we pack it all in? No. Um, you know, I continued for the best part of uh, the first sort of 12 months I think working both jobs, Giles was the first. So Rob did the same. Giles was the first to sort of jump full ship and, and we sort of bankrolled him for a while. So he could, you know, work full time on it along with one of our other friends. Um, but yeah, for the most part, we were working both jobs and, and trying to get the business off the ground. So it's six years now you've been in business. When you look back at that early stages, if you were giving advice to kind of, you, you know, that moment, would you think that was the right thing to do, work for a year and not jump straight into the business? Did, that, was was it the right decision or did it slow you down? Um, in, uh, probably might have slowed us down a bit, to be honest, but I think, you know, we're big fans of the books, like the lean startups, etc. You know, if I look over here, I still don't have a... Uh, a light shade over one of my balls. <laughs> it's kind of the mentality we, we maintain to remain lean at the beginning. Um, lots of times you see people getting locked, like raising finance. If you can do that and you can raise some capital, then, you know, obviously you can go in a bit earlier. But for us, it was really, how do we remain really lean at the beginning? We didn't have many funds. Recipe boxes weren't a proven concept at all back then. Online grocery penetration was really low. Um, you know, there wasn't lots of appetites from um, PEs, VCs, etc., to get involved because they, they were waiting to see how it would all play out. And in the early days, everyone just said, you're no different to the bigger guys. How are you ever going to compete? And then a few years later, lots of people were going, oh, okay, we can see how it's really different now and sort of understood the concept a bit more. I think um, you know, every time you say a, a word now, I want to do a food joke, like you're saying lean. I'm like, it's, 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 it feels like the whole business, is it, these words that you operate on are also what the ethos of the actual business are. I love the point you've also made about your name is your mission, isn't it? Mindful, mindful chef, that's a really clever introduction of a mission, which I think more people could learn from when coming up with a name. It's actually, it is, it is your mission, right? Yeah. And I mean, like, honestly, we had a few others and we'd like flex them. We were chatting to lots of different people. Like some, you'd be like, oh, this will be great. You know? And, and then you realize, oh, actually, no, it's chatting to somebody else to go, ah, oh, that does, I don't think that speaks to me. That kind of alienates me or whatever. And we were lucky we landed on mindful chef and we were just like, you know what, this really works like across every level of the business, like whether it's the food element or the wider goals of the business, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I mean, very lucky <laughs> we landed mm. on it and it sort of went with it as well, I think. Mm, we'll talk about luck in a minute. It's interesting because I always wonder how Google managed to actually decide on their name. You know, we're doing a website, you know, oh, too many O's, people will miss out on O, you know, how many goes are there in it, you know? And, uh, you know, eventually you make it your own. Was it difficult to trademark Mindful Chef? It was like quite a hard word to, to own. Um, I think we had to, I think we had to, I think some, there's a very small one person sort of bakery 
lady in America somewhere in a vast, you know, outskirts of a little town um, who we ended up asking if we could use it and she was okay with it. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things about coming up with names that a lot of people don't think about early on. I've had that problem myself. I, I had a brand called Foodie that mm. I invested in and uh, it grew really well, did really well. And then someone came out of the woodwork and said, you know, I own this. And um, it's quite quite a thing to be careful of. But um, but I also love your point about uh, focus, not pivot, because that, you know, that comes up all the time, doesn't it? You know, people always say, oh, I had to pivot. But I like this idea that actually it's really about persistence, isn't it? It's about following through despite the naysayers and proving that you're different over time. Did you feel there was a moment, um, because the three of you working, when did you decide, okay, I'm going to join now? What, what was the reason that you felt comfortable and no longer being lean? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we were still lean. I'll be honest, we're working out the, the apartments, you know, and uh, we weren't spending much money apart from on, on marketing, everything else, you know, was, the warehouse was, the room we were operating in was probably twice the size of this little room I'm in at the moment. So, you know, was, we didn't spend very much. But um, I think it was just we started getting more traction and we realised, you know, there is appetite for this outside of our family and friends. Um, and... And we needed some more support, you know, and also equally myself and Rob, um, it wasn't, it wasn't viable for us to continue doing both jobs, you know, Um, myself as a PT, I was luckily relatively successful. So, you know, I was doing 35, 40 hours face to face a week, and then also doing the admin side on top of that, as well as mindful chef. So, you know, it was becoming quite a lot. So it's like you had to take that decision and you had to go, okay, do we, is now the right time? And for us, we just all decided, right, if we're going to do this, then we need to give it a good shot of working. And the momentum's here, we're starting to move. So, okay, let's, let's all get on board and really give this a good go. Did you um, find it hard giving up the personal training business or was it a no brainer? It's hard in this. I, I mean, I this is the difference. I would say I absolutely loved what I did, um, and it provided me with a lot of freedom to be able to do other things on top. Um, but for me, when I was chatting about this with Rob and Giles, you know, the, the healthy eating mission is really, really personal to me, and it's like the the not the ease but the amount of awareness i get to drive through mindful chef's mission and impact i have on more people's lives through through making healthy eating easy it's far more than i would have ever have achieved as a personal trainer on my own but in terms of giving it up uh, yes it is very difficult especially when you get to a a good level of of you know income and training etc and you've built up a bit of a you know a, a business around yourself as well and you know it's quite hard if things don't work out necessarily to go back to, you know, for Rob and Giles, they were in stable jobs. It's a bit easier just to go back into the corporate world if something doesn't work out. But for me, it was very much, I had to, we had to make it work because otherwise all of my clients probably would have gone on to somebody else or they may, may have moved or et cetera. So I'd have to build a whole new business up again. So it was difficult in the one sense, but in the other, the opportunity to drive that mission was sort of a, a no brainer and sort of a ride. I really was passionate about and wanted to jump on board for. I really love this point. And I think for people listening that are thinking of starting a business, but perhaps they've got a job they quite enjoy right now. I think this is, this isn't talked about much because most of the time it's like, Oh, I, I hate what I did. And I had to do, and I, didn't, you know, I hated my boss and I had to go do something, you know? And, but I think there are a lot of people out there that actually love what they do. But what you're talking about, which I think is really fascinating and probably a whole podcast series on its own, but you know, is this concept of like you're giving up something you love to have a bigger impact and you'll make what you're, 
doing next also something you love and and I, my, my wife had this same thing by the way she was a graphic designer and she loved being a graphic designer and and but then she learned about something called kinesiology which was about healing people that were told they couldn't be healed and she felt that she she had to give up graphic design uh, although she loved it and and then transition into into this bigger purpose so i think it's really it's really brave actually it's, I, I think it's one of the hardest things to do that way around it's a lot easier just to quit your job if you hate it but actually to see that there's something bigger there that you need to do and i feel like you know the way you're explaining it mars is that you actually you, you actually took uh, a huge risk because you know it wasn't easy for you to go back and build that back up again once you told those clients to you can't do it anymore. They go find another personal trainer, build up a new relationship. And so so that means it's very hard for you to go back to that, uh, especially if you're based in a particular location where, you know. So it's fascinating. And I think it's really great that you share it because I think my listeners, that's a new angle that I think a lot of people don't think about. And so it's really important. And so when you sat down with your partners and said, right, okay, I'm going full time now. Um, was it just because of the sheer volume or was it your realisation the mission was bigger? And then what happened next? Was it was there a shareholder agreement and was it all very serious or was it still very loose? What did you do next? Um, I mean, we had like, you know, we had a, we we all had our shares at the beginning and we all knew like where we all sat within the business and how it was divvied up, you know, so that, that was quite clear from the beginning. Um, where did it go next? Um, I think it was as I said, we were just gaining traction and we thought, okay, well, in order to give this a good shot, like what is the, what are the next steps? And it was, we needed to increase like, you know, the, the team a little bit and whether that was helping the warehouse or whether it was helping, you know, the admin side, customer service, marketing. And when I say this, there were no teams. When I say customer service, marketing, I mean, me and Giles picking up the phone or whatever, or, you know, Rob working in the warehouse or, you know, we're all doing the marketing. I remember, I would literally walk around London to all of the like yoga studios, Pilates studios, gyms with my little mindful chef box looking like Will Smith out of the pursuit of happiness, you know, peddling our, peddling our, our thing saying, look, this is, this is our company. This is what we're trying to do. Here's why I think it'd be good for, for you guys and your members as like an added value and how we can, how we can help. And um, really we built our, built our business off, word of mouth referral ambassador um you know amb- ambassador influencer marketing and just built up a really good personal nature and relationship with these guys much to, to this day where you know we have 50 plus ambassadors we have over like 150 200 influencers who work with us on the on a monthly basis um and still forms one of our sort of cheapest marketing sort of channels and it's because of the personal nature of mindful chef though it's because of we built those relationships in the early day. I mean, just to give my audience some, first of all, the links to your business will be in the broadcast below. People can go and click them, of course, now. But, um, that you know, you've delivered over 9.5 million meals to households across the UK. You're the most uh, uh, highly rated um, food recipe box on Trustpilot. Um, you, it's just incredible what you've actually achieved. I mean, I was just reading as well, you were oversubscribed on your crowdfunding rounds in 2016 and 2017. So clearly you've got a huge fan base. Yeah, I think um, when we articulated what our like values were with like the first 10 or 12 team members, I think it was, we took them, we, we had like a relationship with Lululemon and all this sort of stuff. So we took them to the head office sort of on Regent Street and uh, went and said, well, Ron, telling you what the values of the company are what do you guys think it is you've all worked here now you're you 
you embody what mindful chef are and you know the, the values were mindful personal and unafraid and i guess that personal and sort of mindful element really come into what you're referring to there around community as well and we try and build a bigger community around mindful chef and yes we deliver recipe boxes but we always wanted the company to be far more than just a recipe box and that's why my role is like chief community officer and that's for both the team internally but also externally with our customers and what more can we do so whether it's the big annual like community events around uh, the big coast clean we do it's nearly as big as the uk's like main coast clean you know in terms of locations and people which is incredible for like a tiny business like ours or whether it's like the reverse advent calendar we do each year where people get to donate food back and we'll, we'll donate it out to sort of homeless shelters, food shelters, et cetera. So, um, yeah, we do work really hard on trying to create a bit more of a community and, and provide really good customer service, et cetera. And that's sort of reflected, as you say, in Trustpilot and also people backing the service and wanting to be involved. Mm. I was also reading um, one of my heroes, uh, Sir Andy Murray, is, is your investor and a fan. So that's, that's nice to read, isn't it, when you, when you start getting endorsements from, from fabulous people like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, if we talk to, I don't know if you're going to go on to it about like good luck and things, but I can sort of talk more about Cedars and the first round of crowdfunding, but that's when the likes of Andy Murray got involved. Um, you know, he invests in small business, uh, British businesses that he really believes in and likes. And then the likes of Victoria Pendleton as well, who'd just been a, been a customer for, you know, the best part of six months, unbeknownst to us because it was under a different name. And then when we're crowdfunding, she just rings up the office and says, hello, it's Vicky P here. Can, uh, can I get involved? You know, and you're like, wow, who's this? Just, but I guess that goes back to the credibility and trustworthiness of the brand as well. And rather than us just saying it's healthy, you've got some of the best Olympians we've ever had and sportsmen people in this country who are saying, okay, I want to eat this as well because I want to optimize my performance. You must be a very proud moment for you when you start again, getting the support of, of well-respected people like that. I think also um, I, I, one of the things I noted, um, and for a lot of my audience listening, I know that they are single parents or they're, 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 they've got children and they dream of starting their own business, but they, they find it really hard. And I know you've, had, you've got two children. I know you've got a 10-week-old, so congratulations there. Um, but I know, you, you know you've got a three-and-a-half-year-old, you said, right? Yes, yeah, so, that's right. So three-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, that means that during the business, a very sensitive time in the business, you know, you're, you're two years into the business, you had a child, right? That That's that's not easy. Uh, no, but, you know, I've got, um, we're big, we're from a big family anyway. And, uh, you know, I've got brothers, sisters, uh, everyone's had children relatively young as well. And I think lots of people say there's no perfect time. Like, you know, you just what will be will be i guess and mm. you, I'm, I'm a big believer in you'll be able to make things work one way or another and uh you know i don't i also i quite like the idea of being a relatively young you know parent and grandparent as well i still want to be quite active when i'm older and, and take part in those lives so i just think i mean when i say that when we had the first you know we were still working out of the apartment you're still in that sort of ups and downs you don't know where it will really go but um yeah i don't think there's a perfect time and and as i said you'll, you'll make it work you know what it's like you're a parent yourself so you you'll cr- cobble things together and you'll sort it out i think i, I think miles um you're you're um you're better at entrepreneurship than me i i have a three-year-old and, and honestly i 
I don't know how, I, being a parent is the hardest job in the world and the most rewarding at the same time. But, you know, when you're running a company, you can have an hour off and go, you know, have a coffee or you can sit and read the paper for a minute. But when you're a full-time parent, it is so intense, amazing intense. But I, I, I say to my wife quite often, you know, we were working so hard in our 20s. My wife and I built a company together and worked together for 20 years, you know, and, 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 and we, just, we just wouldn't have had time. You know, yeah. I just don't know how people run businesses and have children. I admire people that do. But I, I, li- I like your story because for a lot of my listeners, it is possible. And like you're saying, you lean on family support structures if you can. But I think, you know, it's also probably, I mean, I don't know um, how you've managed. To, having two partners helps too, right? Because when you need some time off with your newborn, they can pick up the slack. That's one of the benefits, I guess, of having two co-founders. Yeah, I think... Um you know, when people say, well, it's like your best bit of advice. I think it can work really well having another founder. Um, it just, as you say, you get that support network, like as and when you need it. Um, obviously you'll always, you'll, you'll, you'll have tension and you'll clash sometimes and things like that. We're quite lucky there's three because it works a bit like a democracy. So you can always outvote, you know, you always get a, a fair answer at the end of it. Um, but yeah, and and probably the most important thing, if you don't have a founder, is probably finding a mentor quite early on who, you know, you can just sound ideas off of and have somebody you can chat to when things aren't going that well or when you just need to, you know, pick me up or you need somebody just to offer some external advice and probably look at your situation and go, you know what, it's not as bad as you think, actually, or, you know, here's, here's, here's what I think. And so I think now having, having Rob and Giles has definitely been beneficial. It's like allowed us to, to lean on others as and when necessary and also just offer, you know, look at the bigger picture, I think, most of the time as well. The fundamental piece is good. I can see the comments filling up already. Will you be my mentor? Meaning, will Miles be my mentor? I'm sure you've got loads of time to uh, mentor yes. hundreds of people. But what um, you know, what did did you have a mentor? Have you had a mentor, or how? What do you think about that uh, finding um, a mentor thing? I've got a couple of sort of looser ones, which I will. I wouldn't call them. I haven't like put it into the term of mental I think but more people that I can sound advice from and chat to as and when but not somebody that I'm like this is my mentor here's the person I go to mm. each month I've got a, a meeting with them you know I know Giles Giles has one um, and it works really well for him uh, and I think it's more my laziness or perhaps I just haven't got around to doing it or perhaps because I've got that support network of a few other individuals that I can speak to I just haven't taken the leap to go. Okay, it's, this is it's, it's a it big investment. Really. I mentor a few people myself, and you know they're my friends now. That, that's how much time you spend together if a mentor's done right, right? So it's also a big investment, both sides of the equation. Uh, so when people ask, "Will you be my mentor?" I think they don't quite understand how important it is, how deep the relationship mm-hmm. goes. I interviewed um, Nick Jenkins, who's the founder of Moonpig, uh, yeah. recently, and um, he was a sole founder which I always admire people that can do it. I've not been able to do it on my own. I always prefer having a co-founder, but he did it on his own. And what he did is he created a board and on that board were people that were basically his mentors and people that would give him advice, honest advice and help him, um, which is how he got around it. Um, so it's always, always interesting to talking about that. Well, tell us about the crowdfunding campaign a little bit and how you, um, how you managed to, to, to succeed on that. A lot of people want to do crowdfunding. Is there, what was the secret to your success, do you think, outside the product being amazing, of course? Yeah. Um, on your point on boards quickly because I yeah, think sure. it's probably quite important just um, a really good point we actually set up a board really early and we set it up probably after the first um, uh, sort of eight months I think we brought on board a couple of like really knowledgeable people 
um, who put a little bit of money in, but also we offered equity, obviously. Um, and as you say, like that really helps um, in terms of mentoring and guiding the business and keeping you focused. So that's one thing which I think a lot of startups don't do until a lot later on. And actually it pays dividends in the long term. It's a really good point, actually. I'm glad you brought it up because I think it is, it, for a lot of people starting a business, that might sound like oversight, you know, that might sound like, oh, I've got to manage those people and they're going to tell me what to do, right? Mm. So, so I mean, you are quite unusual, three founders and a board. That, that, is, that is real focus on community, actually. That's what I think when I hear it. But for a lot of people, that would be scary. You know, two people as a founder to manage is already tricky. Now you've got a board to keep happy and engaged, tricky. Um, but it worked for you. Yeah, and you get the but you get the added advice, right? Like, and you get more people to who are probably more experienced than you in a lot of things. That's we're never afraid to invite people into the business who are more knowledgeable than we are at certain things. Like that's actually what we try and do because that's how you can grow your business quicker um, and listening to others. So, um, yeah, it was a really astute move, um, and I'm not sure why. We just thought, okay, we could probably do with this, and we know some good people who could offer a lot to the business. So. Um, let's bring it back. And like I said, we've always, always tried to be quite focused. So I think it's just another sort of thing to be focused on. I'm always a big fan of um, some of the institutions that invested in people like Apple in the early days. And Sequoia was one of those companies. And they said they invested in people. This is some 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 irony maybe to this, I think. Um, but they invested in, in certain businesses because the founders were teachable. I'm not sure Steve Jobs was teachable, but um, but perhaps he was in the early days. But uh, but yeah, it certainly is, is an interesting point. I think a lot of people that want to raise money from people, um, being open to feedback and taking criticisms on board and also ignoring it when you need to, I think is an art form that by having a board and co-founders, you can really perfect. Your democracy point uh, is, is a good point, actually. So do you think... Um, what, the, the next step, I guess, um, you know, what, what as the business was growing and things were going well, did, did you feel there was a lucky moment where it suddenly got the traction and you could see it was definitely going to work? Or, or do you, you know, how does it, how does it, was there a lucky moment, I guess, is my ultimate yeah. question. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, I took you off tangent, but it comes back to your like crowdfunding point as well. Right. Um, so definitely a lucky break or moment for us, our first round of crowdfunding. So we, you know, two big ones in the UK, you got Cedars and, and Crowdcube. And for our first one, we chose Cedars uh, for a variety of reasons. And um, I remember being sat in a, in a pub with Rob and Giles, you know, just the night before we were going to go on. And I don't think we'd been paid ourselves for about three months. And it's expensive if you're living in London as well to not pay yourself for three months. Um, and, you know, we just paid like for the, the couple of staff who were working for us and things. And we thought, and you don't know when you go on to crowdfunding, right, what, what the end result's going to be. And you really don't until you get on there. And I think we had a couple of people lined up, which we thought, okay, well, we're kind of sure they will put in money, but we don't know yet. Like, and how's it really going to go? We think we've got a bit of a, like customers might invest, but we're still not sure. And, and we'd had some friends who wanted to get involved and we sort of had that lined up. So you've got that added pressure of personal relationships. Do you take their money? Do you not? And, you know, we went live um, looking to raise 400,000 pounds. Um, I think we'd raised a million pounds in 12 days. Um, from a lot of our community as well. A lot of customers got involved. Uh, you know, we had about, by the end of our second round of crowdfunding, we had a thousand sort of brand ambassadors through customers who put their own money in, which is just an amazing feeling. And one way you, that's when you go, okay, well, this is really lucky, eh, that people have got behind and actually put money in and we can carry on and we can go to the next step. But also B, you get that real sense of, oh, okay, 
you know what, it's not just us saying this is a good idea anymore. We've actually got hundreds of people who who are customers who passionately believe in this business enough that they're going to put their own money in. Um, you know, maybe we are onto something and actually maybe this is a bit bigger than, than we've re- we realised when we were starting out. And so crowdfunding went well, um, you oversubscribed, raised the money, and then in February last year you did a Series B, right? Yes, so we did, um, so we did another round of crowdfunding a year later. Uh, I think uh, we raised two million pounds in in eleven days uh, <laughs> again wow. through community, um, and then and that was again like I said earlier, VCs PEs weren't that interested at the time either, um, and we quite like using the crowd and getting our community involved. Um, we did a Series A with Piper in twenty eighteen, and then last year we did our Series B, um, yeah, and raised some more money which really secured the future of Mindful Share and also secured the future for our staff. Like I said, going back to that time where we were sat in the pub and we hadn't paid ourselves, well, there's nothing worse than I could think of being in the position in the future where I couldn't pay all of the team, you know, growing quite a bit more now. And so that's really a big, big benefit to taking on the investment with securing the future of Mindful Share. So going forward, um, do you, what, what is success for you now? What, what, how do you view the future? Uh, I kind of view it on two levels, I guess. I view it both personally and professionally. And I think personally, it's, um, you know, being like the best father, husband, brother, sort of friend, son that I can be in, like hopefully being a role model and somebody for those people to lean on. Um, Don't always get it right. (laughs) You you try hardest. And then professionally, I think it's really creating a, a truly awesome company that we can be proud of, you know, one where people can feel safe to bring their like authentic selves to work. They, they actually love their jobs. Like, like I very much did and do, and, you know, a part of the wider mission of mindful chef and really having a company that has a positive impact, both socially and environmentally and wider society. And, and as I said, back to the point, we never just wanted to be a wrestling box. We always wanted to have a, a bit more, if you're going to do a company yourself, and you want to try and do it as well as possible and you want to make sure, you know, you leave things in a better position than, than you, you started with. Do you, um, just out of interest, do you do you think as an entrepreneur, did you grow up thinking you were an entrepreneur? Did, are your parents entrepreneurial? Uh, it, it's quite funny. Um, I think all, for three, the three of us actually, um, but all of our parents in some capacity have started their own businesses or gone on to, to do their own things. And I think, that may have played some part in us wanting to do more ourselves or having that sort of freedom at times to go off and do things. I mean, I've always worked for myself predominantly. So that's for me is certainly sort of ingrained, but I don't think it's for everyone. I think, you know, especially in today's society, you can be, anyone can be whoever they want to be. You know, you put in the hard work and and get a bit of luck as we sort of have discussed and you can certainly go on to do anything. I don't think you have to have a, a father or a mother or a brother or a sister who's gone on to do something. I think it, it certainly helps because you can bounce ideas off, but I think anyone can sort of go on to, to, to create their own sort of business if they wish to. And you, you have siblings? Yeah, I've got uh, two older brothers and a sister, younger sister. And they all entrepreneurial as well? Um, relatively, they are actually. Yeah, I mean, um, one one played rugby for a good number of years and has, uh, you know, his wife has her own business, um, which he's involved in as well. And then my other brother's about to start up his own business, having done a few things before another one. And then uh, my sister, actually, her her husband has his, his own business as well. So, yeah, they all, all actually revert background when you sort of think about it. <laughs> 
Well, we'll put all their links in the broadcast as well. Give give our fellow entrepreneurs a bit of support and love. And um, but it's, I, I I have three brothers. I think we all infected each other. Uh, our family was also an entrepreneurial background. But I think you know, when your brothers also do things, you kind of see it and you learn from them and you get inspired by them. And that also spurs spurs people on, right? Yeah, and I mean, they're probably people you speak to quite a lot, right? So you socialise with, you talk to, and you probably tell them a lot more than you might tell other people, and they get to experience it all firsthand, the good and the bad, the ugly. Um, And, you know, I think sometimes people go, oh, that's really interesting, actually, and I've got a cool idea. And like I said, you can, it's quite, it's not easy to start start anything, but, you know, there are a lot more opportunities for people to start up their own things now than there ever have been before. How important is it to have a supportive partner? I mean, it's so important. I mean, I just trying to put the timeline together a little bit, but you know, that time when you're not paying yourself, there must also be conversations going on about having children. So when you're not got an income and you're thinking about bringing a new life into this world, you need a really supportive partner that accepts that, right? Yeah, I'm very lucky. My wife's been um, been incredibly supportive. Uh, you know, in the, like I said, roller coaster journey, lots of what ups and downs, and as much as you try and keep personal and professional, like you know, lives away from each other. It it doesn't happen, especially when it's your own business. Um, So yeah, no, she's been incredible and she's been there every step of the way. And, you know, for all of us, actually, we've all had partners who've been really supportive, Rob and Giles as well. Um, And yeah, it has certainly helped, especially if for anything, just helping pack some of the boxes, you know. (laughs) Free free labour. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But it's an under it's an underrated point actually this point about partners. I always like to bring it up because I, what I've noticed in the, the hundreds of people I've spoken to have been successful, and you can reverse engineer it pretty much back to their relationships. And so, and actually, when I invest in people, I always like to meet the person's partner because if that partner is very demanding of them, the tough moment they're going to go through is going to get harder. And so, you know, we always talk about the business and the attitude towards business and business models, and I think that bit's actually underrated as a as a factor on whether or not you succeed. If you're eight o'clock still working and your partner's calling, where are you? You know, you don't love me anymore. Uh, then, then, then you, you know, either give up them, which is awful if you love them, or, or you give up the business. You know, so there's, there, there comes moments like that in people's lives. I've noticed. We, um, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I haven't actually heard of people doing that before, but actually, it's for it's probably a really good sort of tip or tip or piece of advice for people looking to invest in in other businesses or startups. Um, I mean, we. St- you know, stupidly decided that we would send all our boxes on a Sunday in the early days because um, because healthy starts the week. So all the boxes had to arrive you know, for Sunday or Monday. And, and that meant we gave up our weekend straight away. Oh. So yes, they have to be, a you know, we weren't there from 6 a.m. to, you know, 8 p.m. on a Sunday and then packing boxes. Then we'd be home doing customer service, you know, when a, when yep. a driver's decided to throw a box of food over a fence somewhere or wherever it might be. So, yeah, they, they are incredibly understanding. And you're right, like without the support, um, I think it'd be a lot harder. So you, you just create such a beautiful image of I've got this kind of Devon uh, you know, farm image in my head with you know hundreds of people all having Sunday lunch together, and then you know Sunday lunch is finished and you all go start packing boxes. You know, like the, the, the kind of community. I just, I, I know it's probably not exactly like that, but that concept that you know here we are on a Sunday working, and this is, this is what's good for the customer to get it out on a Sunday, right? As you say, beginning of the week, and that 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 focus on customer is also very important. But then there is an impact on the personal life on a serious note, right? I mean, uh, getting that balance right. I mean, we hear work life balance a lot. What's what's your view on that whole that whole game? Um, I think in the early days, it's really difficult. I think, well, it, it, well, it depends how you do it. Like, obviously, we did it on 
very tight budget. But as I said, like big fans of the lean sort of startup and those books. Um, so when you're doing it on such a lean budget, then I think you do have to work around the clock a lot. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to staff. You just think we don't need to hire somebody to do that. We'll just do that ourselves. So it is quite hard. Like I said there, we gave up a lot of weekends um, to, to continue building the business. Um, I think you can do it. I just think it's a decision you can make. Um, there's always decisions you can make. There's always more work that, that can be done. So, you know, you've just got to make your own choices there. I think now it's very, very important for us, like as we sort of managed to scale the business and we do enable a bit more freedoms and, you know, we have a big sort of, we like everyone who joins the business. We, we expect a lot from people. We want them to work really hard. We would we, we say the most successful people don't just stay in their lanes of marketing, customer service, whatever. They sort of look at the wider business objectives they are how can i improve this over there or how can i do this or that but then equally you know we want them to be able to reset to take their time off to have that personal space you know we actually just did a big call this morning on benefits and how we're improving them you know and we really max out in terms of holiday days making sure people take them making sure they get proper leave policies like you know maternity paternity we've actually going to have some of the best like sort of policies in the uk i think um and that's really trying to look after the guys personally so i think now it's definitely a focus on trying to distinguish between work and personal life and and supporting the guys because that's how you get the most that's how you get like sort of the most out of your people as well you know you can't just expect them it's all about work, work, work. You've got to look after them on both ends of the spectrum. And that's what drives culture, drives innovation and drives like a really good thriving sort of workplace. Do you think your education helped you? I mean, clearly that's where you met your two co-founders. So there's an instant benefit. But do you think these days ed- ed- is education as important? And, and I mean, from a university perspective, I personally have seen a lot of students that are in a lot of debt. They will promise a job and can't get one. That's, that's my view. It doesn't have to be the same as mine. I'm just interested in what your view is on education now. Yeah. Um, I actually did a podcast for my university yesterday about like this sort of thing and course because I went predominantly, um, I did, I did, I was lucky enough to have a good education. Um, my mum didn't, we were in and out of school a little bit as well. I went to, um, you know, taken out when we can afford some fees sometimes, went to state schools, went back. So I have experienced both sides of it. Um, and then uh, I was lucky enough to go on to higher education university. I did go predominantly to play sports, to play rugby. Um, the, the degree was more of an afterthought. It was more of a get a you know, that, that age old, get a degree, it'll help serve you in whatever you go on to do. I do still think that's the case. There's a lot you learn from university rather than just a piece of paper. You learn a lot of um, sort of a, a lot of professional skills, whether it's presentation, whether it's analytical researching, time management, you know, there's, there's all of that side. And then there's also the personal side as well, you know, building personal relationships, learn, you know, socializing with people. A lot of in the early days and actually still to this day, a lot of some of our breaks would come from people we've met, um, whether at school, whether at university, you know, it might be a journalist somewhere who wants to do a review on, on the boxes. It might be a partner at a big corporate who wants to do something. It might be a partner at a charity, etc. So that's where it sort of helps. But equally, I don't think you have to go. I just think that's just a benefit that we, that we sort of, um, we personally realized and sort of had a positive impact from. Have you been very mindful of staying in the UK, it feels like this could, you know, you've, I was just looking at the numbers. I mean, it's 55 million pound empire now. You've just you know, done such an amazing job building it from that WhatsApp group idea to what you've done today. But, you know, what do you think about going overseas? I know a lot of people have, are listening, have businesses and often think about expanding. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
and it's a really difficult business like you know we we joke we wish we'd done something like toothbrushes or the razor blades there's still chance there's still time you know <laughs> but um you know something you can just put in a warehouse and leave um fresh food is it, operationally and logistically that's like the barrier for people is like you know you can start up anything with a website and start doing it but actually to get it to scale with an operational model that works um is really really hard and I think, again, comes back to that point. Yes, we have definitely spoken about international expansion and where do we go, and we've looked at it and done research, but come back to that point around focus and really what do we want? Like, we always, we've always wanted Marvel Jet to be a household name within the UK first, and I think we'll do that and we'll continue to become more healthy, more relevant, like across the week more often to really expand on our product offering. You know, lots of people don't want to cook. So they tell us, they come to our site and they go, oh, I really like the idea of these meals, but then I got the box and I didn't realize I had to cook them. So, you know, we're like, okay, well, here's our frozen range. There you go, do that. Or people go, oh, I want breakfast. Okay, here's our healthy smoothies, whatever. So it's really expanding on that. And when you think of healthy food, healthy eating, you're going to use Mindful Chef. So I think we'll do that first. And then, yeah, hopefully, you know, in a few years time, we'll start looking at international again. And, um, you know, we've got a lot, I think it worked really well in certain, certain places, certain countries as well. So, and the name obviously transitions quite well wherever you are. So, yeah, we'll see. Totally. Well, I've uh, I've, I've really enjoyed your insights. I could I could keep talking to you forever. Conscious that um, of your time and, and and the listeners. But so I just kind of close with this question. I always like to ask, which is, if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, what would it be? I always think don't take life too seriously when you're young. I look at my um, daughter, like you might do your children, and you, you say you always want them to be oh, like, how are they performing? Are they doing? Are they are they are they reading well? Are they doing this? Are they doing that? And I just think allow them to play, allow them to be young. We've got a lot of you know, there's a lot of time to spend taking life really seriously when you're older. You know, like we've already spoken about the sacrifices you might have to make in terms of time or personal relationships, etc. So when you're young, I think just experience as much as you can soak it all in make loads of friendships new relationships travel see the world you know don't take life too seriously um and just enjoy it because as you get a bit older you certainly get a few more responsibilities and i think when you're younger if you had the support network hopefully um you know it'll allow you a lot of freedom to just sort of be young and and enjoy yourself it's uh, what I love about that that statement is very relevant for right now. I think we all, all worry, uh, uh, thanks to the news every day uh, about what's happening. But I think sometimes we do have to live in the now and appreciate the now. I also like the fact that you're working with so many influencers and, and supporting so much of that community because it kind of feeds through that they're probably living the best life they can live and trying to have an experience and you're supporting them through partnership uh, which I think is a really nice tie-in back to like not just you telling that to your younger self, but you're helping your younger self do that. Um, and so, yeah, wonderful message, wonderful business, um, wonderful insights. Thank you so much for it. I really appreciate your time today, Miles. You're welcome, Simon. Yeah, lovely chat. And um, thank you very much for having me on the show. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. If you found what Miles had to say interesting, then do me a favour Click the links below, click through to his social media and give him a like. This is something we can do for small businesses and growing businesses like The Mindful Chef. It costs nothing to give a like. It actually, in fact, will give you something, a connection to people out there doing mindful, kind things. 
If you would like to ask any questions of myself or Miles, or you want to know anything at all about what we're up to here at the Good Luck Club, just drop us a comment, ask us a question anytime. We always reply to all the comments. Give us time, be patient. It does take us time to reply to them all, but we always do. And if you want to get every single week the podcast in your inbox, please go to goodluckpod.com and sign up. We know you have 812,406 podcasts you could be listening to. We checked this morning. And you've taken the time to listen to ours. We feel incredibly lucky. Thank you.